Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Let's turn to your Bibles and go into Exodus chapter 5. We're going to look at the last few verses of Exodus 5, 22 through 23, and then we'll jump to chapter 6, verse 1, just actually three verses, but they're power-packed. And I've entitled the message, The Testing of Our Faith. What you're going to see in these small passages is that Moses is going to be tested again, and he's going to be tested with a series of tests about his perceived failure. And understand that we're all going through tests no matter what we're doing in life. If you serve in the Lord at different capacities or whatnot, or just being a Christian in this culture, you're being sent tests. The Lord is testing you. What are tests supposed to do? Reveal what's inside of you, reveal your faith, reveal your spiritual maturity. But also tests are to challenge your faith so you step out more and take God by trust alone, sometimes when you don't see the evidence, and to push us forward in what he wants out of our lives. So tests are very important. Tests allow you to experience the abundant life if you pass them. So many Christians are not experiencing the abundant life because they won't push past the tests. They won't push through it and get to the other side. They give up too easy. A lot of times I think about the spirituality of America and a lot of the churches, a lot of the Christians, not, no doubt, are Laodicean, but what I've noticed is that they have turned into spiritual Twinkies. They're really, they're not made it. There's no steel in their soul to push forward, to pick themselves up. They fail, and then that's it. They quit. And what we're noticing is the biblical term is perseverance or endurance. And we're not seeing a lot of that in the United States. And I call them, you know, spiritual Twinkies because what is a Twinkie? They're spongy on the outside, and they're soft on the inside with their cream. And there's nothing inside these guys. Yes, they're believers in Jesus Christ, but there's nothing to fight the culture with, nothing to combat the culture, nothing to step forward in faith. They're just weak and anemic. And we don't want to be like that. So the idea is we need to pass the tests. Okay? So tests will come, and it's part of life. I read a story this week about a kid who went to college first-year freshmen, and you know, first-year freshmen, man, they're like deer in the headlights, and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know if they're coming or going. So this guy was afraid, and, and he's having a rough time his first semester there in college, and it's a whole new world. He's on his own, trying to deal with life, and man, it, everything was being thrown at him. So he writes to his pastor, writes an email, and says, Pastor, I need to talk to you, man. I'm having a rough time. I mean, I, I don't know which way is up and down. I'm coming and going. It's just crazy. It's chaotic. And I'm having all these tests thrown my way, and, and I just don't know what to do. But, Pastor, I don't want a sermon from you. I don't want three points and a poetry. I don't want you to give me a little quip of, of a few verses, and I, I, need, I need more help than that. And so the pastor responded. And the pastor didn't write a dissertation about this, didn't hardly say anything. He just responded with this, welcome to the club, because that's life. Life is hard. It hits hard. You don't know if you're coming or going. Some days are good. Some days are bad. But it's part of life, and we have to manage that somehow, some way. You'll see this with Moses, okay? So the setting, what's happened? If you recall, Moses has been called to confront Pharaoh. He has done that. Pharaoh refused, wouldn't listen. And then Pharaoh instead increased the workload on the Hebrews 
and said, I, I want the same quotas, but you're going to have to find the straw yourself. And so it's increased the work of the Hebrews. And if they don't do it, then they get beat and beat to death. So it's caused a lot of problems for Israel. And uh, they got ticked off at Moses. The Israelites did. So Moses is out here saying, what have I done? The Jews don't like me. Obviously, Pharaoh doesn't like me. Did I misread the will of God? Did I fail? What's going on? And so the same thing will be said about you and I. If we venture out to serve God and we want to do his will, a lot of times you're going to feel alone and you're going to feel that everybody's against you. The whole world is against you. And so we want to see what Moses went through, take some cues from him to how we deal with our own lives. So let's jump in to verse 22. Verse 22 says this, So Moses returned to the Lord. And honestly, that's a good thing. In the Hebrew, the way it's structured, it says he didn't physically go back to where the Lord was. He actually returned to the Lord in prayer is what he did. He stopped wherever he was at and went to the Lord. And that's a key understanding about us. When you venture out and you feel like you failed, go to the Lord. Don't run from him. The, the response that Christians typically do is they get away from the Lord when they fail. They walk away when they fail. They mess up in sin, they fail, they walk away, they get away, and that's the wrong move. So Moses does the right thing, so we take his cue from him. But here's the first test that I want you to see. The first test that comes to him is, number one, the test of perceived or real failure. Now, there's in times in life we're really going to fail, no doubt about that. But in Moses' case, he has perceived a failure, and it's not real. He just has perceived it. And I'll tell you why he's misunderstood this whole thing. And that leads into test two and three I want to bring to your attention. So this is test two. Test two answers why he misperceived. And it's the test of expectations. So Moses thinks he has failed based on his expectations of what he thought should happen. And unfortunately, what he thought should happen, like go in there, Pharaoh's going to hear you. He's going to instantly release the Hebrews, and we're off to the Exodus, and we're gone. And his expectations are wrong. And a lot of times with our expectations of, man, I'm going to go out and do great things to the Lord. I feel called that he's led me to do this, or he's led me to do that, and I'm going to go out. And more than likely, when you go do that, the first time you do it, you will seem to fail. People will start a Bible study, and no one comes to it. People go teach a Bible study or whatever, and it just goes as into a disaster. Or they try to serve here and there, and it turns out it's not working very well. I'm not cut out for this. And it comes down to what is your expectation for this? And what you start finding out is people's expectations are up here, but reality is right here. So if, let me give you an example of this. Lord puts it on your heart to evangelize. It's on all of our hearts to evangelize because we're in the last days, man. We've got to get as many people on the boat as we possibly can. So they say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm sold out for the Lord. I'm going to start evangelizing. And they go to grocery stores and different places, and they start evangelizing. And guess what? No one responds. No one's responding to them. They're telling the truth, speaking the truth in love, and no one responds to them because their expectation is everyone should want to know the truth. This is gold, man. Why aren't they buying this? But they don't understand what the, the Scriptures have said about the last days, that you're not going to get a lot of responses you need to do it, but don't expect a lot of responses. You'll get the onesies and twosies possibly, 
But most people are not going to respond to you in droves. Not like they did in the camp meetings in the early 1800s, you know, when they had the revivals here in the United States where thousands of people are getting saved. You're not going to see thousands of people getting saved. You're going to see onesies and twosies on your level. So you have to lower your expectation to reality. And that's where Moses is not. He's not in reality, and it's because of this other test, which is test number three. The test of listening to the Lord. This is the crux of why he thought he failed. This is the crux of why his expectations were out of line with reality. It's because he didn't listen to the details. Okay? So first of all, if you recall, God tells Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, but he won't listen to you. In fact, his heart is hard. I'm going to have to convince him by my power, by my right hand. So you go in and talking to him, Moses. This is part of the exercise. He's not going to listen. But for some reason, that escapes Moses' attention. He doesn't even consider that. He doesn't even think about that. And we have clues in the text that he wasn't thinking that way. He should have thought as he went into Pharaoh, I'm going in. I just need to do my duty and tell him what to do. And he's not going to respond. Now, that would be in concert with what the Lord said. But a lot of times, that's what happens to you and I. We don't listen to what the Lord said specifically. Most Christians, let me give an example of this. Most Christians read the Bible, but they don't like what it says. Like, for instance, it says in the last days of the church, perilous times will come. It will get worse before the Lord raptures us, right? We'll see bad things happen. We'll see bad things in the church and, and that's all predicted. It's not like I'm trying to be a doomsday sayer, but it's all there. Paul was warning Timothy, this is the way the church will look in the end. It'll look apostate. It'll look bad. And yet people don't want to accept that. And so they end up going into a bubble out of reality saying, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, no speak no evil. I don't want to talk about how bad it is. Just give me a motivational speech, Brandon. Just give me a motivation so I can feel good about myself and feel good that our society's not crumbling down. You know, that kind of mentality. So they refuse to acknowledge what the Lord has said. So that's on them. And so at the end of the day, it's because they weren't listening to the details. The second thing, if you notice what Moses did, I'm not going to go back to it, but he says this to Pharaoh. He was supposed to, well, let me, let me talk about this. He was supposed to get the instructions with God. And God told him, when you go to Pharaoh, I need you to say this specifically. Tell him that Israel is my firstborn son. Okay? Tell him that. Then say, let my people go. The God of the Israelites, Yahweh, asks you to let them go, or is demanding that you let them go. And then tell him this. If you don't, your firstborn son will die. Now, if you go back and you read what Moses said to Pharaoh, guess what he left out? He left the front end and left the back end off. He didn't connect Israel with God being his firstborn son as a corporate nation. And then he left out the judgment that will happen and your firstborn son will die if you don't let this happen. Why did he leave off those bookends and just say, let my people go? The God of Israel says, let my people go. I wonder why. Because he's going in front of a Hitler type of person Pharaoh, or he's an antichrist type of person, most powerful man on the planet at that time, and he's afraid. He's afraid to say the full Monty. 
I think I would be there too. Would you want to tell Pharaoh, and by the way, if you don't do it, your son's dead? I mean, I, I could get that. I totally understand why he didn't say that. But what was he directed to do? Say what I want you to say completely. When Moses probably in his mind, well, I, I did kind of say that. I did say that. I said, let him go. I did say that. No, 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 Moses, you left parts out. So that's a failure on his part. That's a failure. So that failure to not take the details led him to wrong expectations and made him think that what happened was a failure. And that's what can happen to us. If we don't listen to the directions specifically, what it says is happening, and we don't incorporate it into our call, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I want you to think about this on your own personal level. If you become a purveyor of the truth, and you speak the truth in love, right? Not as a jerk, but in love to most people, what do you think their reaction is going to be? Oh, we, we can't wait for you to tell us more truth. This is awesome. No one's ever spoke like you before. This is wonderful. This is freeing me up from all my bondage. This is awesome. You mean gay marriage is not, is not right? Wow, I'm glad you told me. I'm going to repent right now. Do you really think people are going to respond like that? They don't. They don't. What you're going to realize is, oh, my expectation is I better be careful about casting my pearls to swine. I better have enough discernment before that truth leaves my mouth. Is that person willing to accept it? And that's how you understand how to play the tests that God puts in front of us, is you have to discern what you're dealing with. And, and, and so anyway, that comes down to expectations of knowing the scriptures and what it says. But again, he feels like he's a failure, and he's, he basically, he's going to say, I want to give up, is what he's going to say. But understand, you know, in an application, when we do fail or we perceive we fail, the first thing to do is return to the Lord, and then what we say is, what did I miss? What did I not understand? Something went wrong. What am I not getting? And we turn to the Lord, and he will tell you, either through scriptures or impress on your heart or whatever, that you need to learn this before we move forward so that your failure helps you do better next time. Even the secular world understands that failure is a learning process, and that's what the Lord does for us. I mean, look at these quotes from these secular people. This is from Wolfgang Puck. You know Wolfgang. Didn't he create California Pizza Kitchen and whatnot? Is that him? Anyway, he says, I've learned more from one restaurant that didn't work than from all the ones that were a success. Hmm. From Robert Kiyosaki, he's the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He said this, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. It's good. I like that. And then from Thomas Edison, as you know, failed many times at inventing things. He says, I'm not discouraged because every wrong attempt discarded is another step forward. And so one of the takeaways from our walk with the Lord, even the secular world gets this. If you fail in serving the Lord, pick yourself back up, return to the Lord, and get back on the path. You are not to take a hiatus and say, it didn't work that one time, so I'm not ever going to do anything again. I don't want to get burned anymore. Folks, failure is a part of the Christian life. It's actually part of our sanctification. You will fail. It's part of it. The key is, will you get back up? Or stay in the fetal position, in the corner, not doing anything. Look what it says in this scripture. And here's where you start seeing Moses want to bail out. 
And he said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? This is a blame game thing going on. And then he says, why is it you have sent me? The idea inherent in what that, that says, why have you sent me? He's wanting to bail out. He doesn't want to do it anymore. I'm done. And that's a nice way of saying it. Why did you send me? I knew I was the wrong person for this. I knew it. There was a check in my spirit that I shouldn't have stepped out and served you. I knew it was wrong. Okay, but here's the test. The test is the blame game. The blame game. You will be tested on who you will pin the tail on the donkey with. So you step out and you serve the Lord, and it blows up in your face. The temptation will be to blame God. Why did you send me here? Why did you direct me here? Why did you tell me to do this? Why did you do that? And the way it is in Hebrew, he says, why have you brought trouble on this people? The way it's in Hebrew, it is a polite, indirect attack on God, if that makes sense. He didn't come out and say, you did this. He's saying in the Hebrew that God is a secondary cause. It would be like us saying, why did you allow this in my life? If you knew this was going to happen, why did you allow it? You could have stopped it. Why didn't you stop it? If you knew it was happening, you knew how I would respond, why didn't you stop it? That's the blame game. That is where people's hatred and and anger at God comes from. They're not understanding free will, obviously, but they want to blame somebody. And that's what will happen when you fail. What did Adam and Eve do when they failed? Pointing fingers. Blaming everybody. It's this, it's that, it's that. You know, it's not me. Moses should have said, okay, Lord, what did I miss? Did I not hear you correctly? Or did I not do the assignment correctly? Yes, Moses, you didn't. That's why it ended in a disaster. You didn't do what you were told, and you didn't listen to me. But does most people want to take the blame for that? No. Let's blame God for leading us in an area that that caused us a disaster. It's easy that way. Folks, the more you keep blaming God for how your life went, the more you stay stuck. You will never move in spiritual maturity as long as you're sitting there blaming God. Well, I wish my childhood was different. I wish my, my teenage years were different. I wish I could have had a better marriage my first time around. I could, why didn't God have a shaft of light appear in my room and tell me, don't date that person. Don't be around them. Why didn't he do that? He could have done that, right? No, you're to blame you're the blame but see people don't want to own it so part of the test about blaming is will you own this moses brandon or whoever and and it's a hard one i get it i get it. that's the first thing we want to do let's go to the fifth test that follows this the test of being despised by the people who should support you this one's a hard one really hard I want to take us back to Exodus 5 so you can see the interaction between the Israelites and Moses, just to refresh our minds. It says this in Exodus 5. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, so what happened is the foreman went in to talk to Pharaoh because he had increased uh, their workload with not providing straw for the bricks and kept the same quota. So the foreman thought they can go in there and say, and plead their case, they can't do this, we're not going to be able to make the quotas, and plus you're beating us down to death. So they go in, and they don't get anywhere with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, you know what? You guys are lazy. Go back out and do it what I, what I told you to do. So they get nowhere. So guess what? They come out of the chamber, and guess who's there? Moses and Aaron. They're going to fire up on them, man. They're ticked off. 
They met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them, and they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. Well, basically it's this. Moses, may the Lord judge you for what you did to us. How dare you do this to us? You put us in jeopardy. They're killing our people, and they've increased our slavery now with the quotas. And they said, uh, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, you're the blame for this. You're the problem, not Pharaoh. You see the, the misunderstanding? Pharaoh is the problem, not Moses. Moses is just following the will of God. They refuse to acknowledge the perpetrator and instead go after the messenger. That is a big key to understanding. So here's, here's what you have to understand. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to go out there. You're going to do what you're supposed to do. And then you're going to have to start taking hard stands. Hard stands against family members, friends, other Christians, other people, neighbors, whatever. You have to take those hard stands. Okay? And usually where this is going to center on is on your family. Okay? And when that time comes, you take your stand and you're going to say, bless God, this ain't happening in my home. Bless God, we're going to put consequences and limitations on this individual because they can't stop this, X, Y, and Z. They can't stop the drugs. They can't stop the alcohol. They can't stop whatever addictions they're in. They can't stop the living with somebody. They can't stop the, the homosexuality, whatever it is. And then, boom, you lay down the law. You put down the restrictions. You put the consequences down. Hey, man, we're going to have to isolate now. We're going to have to disfellowship with you. You won't repent. You won't stop. And so they do that. And guess who undermines them? Their own family. Oh, I can't believe you're treating so-and-so like that. That's not the Christian way. Jesus wouldn't treat him that way. Well, you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says not to have anything to do with an immoral brother or extortioner or whatever. I'm just following Scripture. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's different. That's different. That doesn't apply here. What? Your own enemies will be of your own household because you're starting to take a stand and they're not. They're not willing to put it out there. And so you become the bad guy, just like Moses did. They should have went and said, Moses, awesome job. None of us had the guts to go in there and tell Pharaoh that. Awesome. Yeah, we're getting some heat, but man, we appreciate you telling the truth, Moses. And, and what you're telling us is God's going to deliver us, so we're going to trust even though he increases our labor. That would have been the right response. But no, 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 no. They're trying to please Pharaoh. You've made, us, you've made us an abhorrent uh, in his sight. We wanted to please Pharaoh. Well, which master is Israel serving at this point, Pharaoh or God? You see the point? So when they oppose you, it will show you what God they serve, even if they're Christians. Well, what do you mean by that? Don't they serve Jesus? Yes, but in a secondary way. If they serve Jesus as the priority, they would agree with you and say, man, go for it. I support you. I'll be praying for you. I'm there to encourage you, man. Keep it up. You're doing great. This is the truth. That's right. That's where you get your support. But most of the time, you're not going to get it. And you're going to get it from immature believers in your family. They say they know the Lord. They act like they follow him. But a lot of times, they don't have the spiritual guts to do what it takes what you did. And so they make you the bad guy. And they want to be liked by Pharaoh. That makes sense? Think about that. They want to be liked by the per person who's doing the problem. 
They want to be liked by the addict. They want to be liked by the person living together. They want to be liked by the, the, you know, the drug addict or whatever. They're more interested in pleasing the drug addict rather than Yahweh. We've got a problem, don't we? But I'm going to tell you what. You're going to find yourself in that position many times. And you have to have enough guts, enough spiritual strength to deal with it because this leads into the sixth test. And this is a hard one. So you're going to get opposition by those who should support you, but then you're going to find that the, you're going to stand alone. It's the test of standing alone. Many, many times when you take a stand or you serve the Lord and you, I'm telling you, you get out in front and you're doing everything for God, you're going for God, you're going to find yourself standing alone. I can't tell you how many people that have put themselves out there serving God with their whole heart, wholeheartedness. That's the term in the, the Bible you'll see, wholeheartedness. You see this a lot of times pop up in Joshua. They serve the Lord with wholeheartedness. They get out there, but their own spouse holds them back. Go figure. Why is that? Here you have a person that's sold out for God, but their spouse holds them back. Oh, were you jealous of not getting more time? The person's giving time to the Lord. What's wrong with you? And, and what will happen is you will find yourself standing alone. You'll make a stand against a family member that's doing something wrong, and no one will take a stand, but you will. And guess who the bad guy becomes? You. You. What you see in this picture with Moses, have you noticed Aaron in the picture? He's not even in the picture. Where did Aaron go? He was with Moses. All of a sudden, he got roughed up. And all of a sudden, it's just Moses. He's by himself. I don't know where Aaron. And you'll see this constantly with Aaron. Aaron ducks and dives a lot. In fact, when Moses is gone, guess what Aaron will do? He gives in to the people and create the golden calf. So there's a part of Aaron that's going to disappoint you. Well, what you're going to see is Moses will have to battle this alone many times. And it's just going to be him and the Lord. And that's not a bad place to be. We want the support. We can get. Great. But if you don't get it, it's just you and God. That's it. And that should be fine. I read a great quote this week from Oswald Chambers in his book, Spiritual Leadership. And it says this. The leader must be one who, while welcoming the friendship and support of all who can offer it, has sufficient resources to stand alone, even in the face of fierce opposition, in the discharge of his responsibilities. He or she must be prepared to have no one but God. And amen to that. You will one day be put in a situation where it's just you and God. And what did he say in that, that, that thing, that uh, quote? You will have to have the su sufficient resources to do it. This is why most Christians don't put themselves out there. This is why most Christians don't call out things, don't speak the truth in love. They don't have the resources inside them to say it, to stand alone, just them and God, in the face of evil or wrong. They just don't have it in them. Well, how do you get it in you? You have to mature. You have to pass these tests. You have to go beyond where you're at in order to have the boldness that the disciples had to just speak the truth in love. That's how you get it. You have to mature, and you have to go through these tests. It's a tough deal. Return back to verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. 
neither have you delivered your people at all. So again, there's more blaming there, obviously. You haven't delivered your people. What happened? Well, he, Moses, he told you he wasn't going to deliver them right now. He told you that. But anyway, I want to focus in on, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, I want to focus on that. Because what this is, is when you try to serve God, you can expect hindrances from people. And this brings to the seventh test. The hindrance is the test of hindrances. This is what Moses is dealing with. And Moses is looking at an obstinate obstacle that looks from his standpoint as impossible. How are we going to get rid of Pharaoh? How is that going to happen? This guy's a megalomaniac. He thinks he's a god. He's on the level of Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin. He's on the level of the Antichrist. What, what we, how are we going to get rid of this obstacle, man? He stands in the way of Israel's freedom. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you get to the obstacle part of what the God, God's called you to do, this is the time when most people bail out. They just can't go any further. They see the obstacle and they say, that's impossible. I'm out. I can't do it. And what the Lord is wanting to do is, will you push through the obstacle? Will you push through this? Will you get past it? You remember the scene one time, we, uh, the Lord was giving a, uh, an example to the disciples and showing how far a Gentile woman would push through, through the hindrances. And so there was a woman following him. She wanted healing. And she, she calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples were like, get rid of her, get rid of her. And they knew she was a Gentile woman. Get rid of her. And so that was the first hindrance to the woman. The disciples saying, get away from her. Get, get, get back. So that was the first hindrance. But what, did she let that stop her? No. She kept pushing forward, even though the disciples were trying to prevent her from getting to Jesus. And then he, he hears her. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then what does Jesus do? He puts up another barrier to her. Most people don't catch this. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember that? That's a barrier. He, put, he intentionally put up a barrier. Do you know why? To show the disciples what she will push through to get to him. So she pushed through the barriers of the disciples, and then what is her response to his barrier? But even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. And then, boom, he turns to her and says, blessed are you. Uh, and then he heals her. But what was the point? He was showing the disciples that this woman wanted him so bad to heal her and to have, to have faith in him that she was willing to push through any obstacles, even the Lord's obstacle of saying, I'm only sent to the Jews. Amazing. Don't think for a moment that when he calls you to something that he allows obstacles in front of you. Those obstacles are not to discourage you. They're, they're saying this, how bad do you want it? Do you want it this bad? You really want to serve me? You only want to serve me when it's convenient. You only want to serve me when the path is cleared and it's an easy walk. Or will you serve me when it's hard? Will you serve me when you have knuckleheads in front of you trying to prevent you from doing my will? Will you go past that? And that's what Pharaoh represents to Moses. Now, the, this whole thing of the test of hindrances, you look in American history, some of our founding fathers that they're attacking now, I was thinking about this this week, without them pushing through hindrances, we would never be a country like we are today. 
And the biggest thing, and you know, obviously this is a picture of George Washington, a painting of him at Valley Forge. You might have studied that in high school or college or whatever about Valley Forge, but let me refresh your mind about that. They had come off a series of defeats. They had lost Philadelphia to the British. Very, very down at the point of throwing in the towel. They arrive at Valley Forge to make camp there for six months in 1777, and it was bad there. Winter conditions, some of the soldiers didn't have shoes. They had to wrap their feet with cloth or whatnot, and some of their, their feet got frostbit. The rations were very small. Most people died from the insanitary conditions because, you know, uh, dysentery and all kinds of other diseases. And because of that alone, 2,000 men died with Washington at Valley Forge. Well, the interesting thing about Washington and the leaders there, they decided to push forward and make something good out of this. It, it was a series of failures. They could have easily dispersed them Go back to your homes. Sorry, big mistake. We were wrong. We couldn't overcome the, the British. But what happened there is he, Washington had had under him a Prussian by the name of Baron Fried, uh, Friedrich von Steuben. Might not have heard that name. But he was responsible, and him and Washington decided to say, you know what, we might be down right now, but what we're going to do is train these guys militarily. And this Prussian guy... Stuby, or, uh, he got them to learn military tactics. He got, taught them how to reload, how to shoot a gun, how to do all kinds of military tactics from his background. And after six months, this army with Washington was first rate. They come out of Valley Forge and they go to their first battle, Monmouth, right there in New Jersey, and it ends up in a draw, whereas before they would have been defeated. And they go on, as you know... And they start doing well against the British. And before you know it, we kick the British out and we become our own nation eventually. You know the rest of the story. What's the point? Historians point to Valley Forge as Washington turning the tide of the army, training them and using the bad conditions to make them men of steel so they could fight the British by the way, incidentally, most historians would pin the tag right here on Valley Forge of when the U.S. Army was created. And for, for decades, the manual that came from uh, Steuben was used for, for decades of, in our U.S. Army. And so what you're looking at in that scene is they took failure, turned it over, prepared, learned from the failure, learned to be a better soldier, and that was the turning point in American, the American Revolution. Folks, that's the kind of guts our founding fathers had. That kind of fortitude, that kind of, we're not going to let failure put us down, we're going to keep moving forward. That's what God is wanting Moses to do and want us to do. If you fall down, get back up and stay on the path. Don't quit, don't stop. Because it can change history like it did there. Those of you who served in the U.S. military, if you were in the Army, right there is where the U.S. Army began. Right there. Because someone decided not to give up. Anyway, we have even secular people making comments about not, not uh, giving up and pushing through hindrances. The famous uh, Yankee coach, Casey Stengel, coached in the 50s, he said this, you got to lose them sometimes. When you do, lose them right. That's good. It means to learn from it. 
Everybody experiences losses, but not everybody allows himself to be stopped by those losses. We must prepare ourselves for failure. We should train for it, preparing to bounce back from it when it occurs. It's good words. How about this? Mary Lou Retton, the gold medalist uh, gymnast, the famous one. Achieving that goal is a good feeling, but to get there, you have to also get through the failures. You've got to be able to pick yourself up and continue. And this other guy, you might not know him, Steve Davis, he's a professional snooker player. You ever heard of a snooker? It's a form of billiards. Um, He said this, it may not be your fault for being down, but it is your fault for not getting up. Amen, that's good. These are people that don't know the Bible, but they're using biblical principles. Now, the most famous quote I want to show you is from a very famous boxer. You probably know. Look what Rocky Balboa said. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody's going to get hit as hard as life. That's true, man. Nothing's going to hit you harder than life. Nothing. It's good. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. But you got to be willing to take the hits. Not pointing fingers, saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that, and that ain't you. You're better than that. That's good words. I like it. Thank you, Rocky. That's awesome. But that's what the idea is. God's going to allow life to beat you down. And the question is, will you get back up? Will you get back up and get in back into the fight? And that's, the, that's what the test is for Moses. Let's go back to the scripture, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now he does an adjustment for Moses to get Moses on the right page. This is correction of Moses' expectations. What he had originally told Moses is Pharaoh is not going to let you go when you go in and speak. What will have to happen is I will have to do the plague of the firstborn, which is the 10th plague, which means that God will have to show his miraculous powers to get Pharaoh to do this. It will not be through negotiations. I have to show Pharaoh power. Don't miss that principle. Let me, let me, let me take that out a little bit and, and rabbit trail. When you're dealing with very evil people, like Iran, like the Palestinian Authority, like with Kim Jong-un, when you deal with those kinds of creepy people, evil people, our liberal leftist mindset thinks you can sit down there and have tea with them and just try to understand them. And once you understand them, they'll completely comply with what you want. How stupid is that? You're not going to negotiate with Iran. You're not going to negotiate with these evil people. All you can do is show them one thing, and it's the one thing they know. Power. You do this, we'll pounce on you. That's what, we, that's what Trump did to Iran, taking out their, their main uh, general. We showed them, you mess with our guys, we'll take out anybody we want strategically, and we don't have any problem doing it. 
That's a show of power. Do you think evil people want to mess with people that are more powerful than them? No. That's a lesson you're getting from the Bible. He's telling Moses, he's only going to let you go when they see my power. Not through negotiations, Moses. We're just going through these exercises so I can be a witness to the whole world about how this went down. That's what you're doing. So I'm needing you to do this even though I know talking to him won't work. Now you think, why would God do that? Because this whole thing is an evangelism for the entire world. It's to know who Yahweh is. That Yahweh is a God of grace and mercy and before he pounds Pharaoh, he's going to give him grace and mercy to see if he will repent. But it's going to show the world he won't and therefore deserves the pounding. That's the whole point of this. But this comes to the test, the last test, and we'll end here. This is the test of waiting on the Lord. And this one, my friends, is a very difficult one to wait on the timing of God. We want now. We want you know, like our fast food things that advertise, have it your way and have it now. You know, you can get it lickety split. God is not a fast food restaurant like McDonald's. It didn't work that way. And what ends up happening is we as Christians put pressure on saying, okay, I'm going to go out and serve God and bless God, it's going to happen right now. And it doesn't. And what you end up finding out, like I have found out many, many times, this is not a sprint, it is a marathon. So, Brandon, if you think you're going to sprint and get to the end of the line, you're wrong. I need you to be in a marathon. Let me give you something from personal experience. When I started Rock Harbor, I already thought by, you know, maybe three years, we would already be in a permanent place. Boy, was I wrong. I'm coming up to uh, what we started in 2011. I'm coming up to, you know, nine, ten years, whatever. Still waiting. Now, we're moving and we're progressing. There's no doubt about that. And we're getting closer and closer. I did not think it would take this long. But now I know. And God's saying, no, my timing is perfect. In fact, I orchestrated a lot of what you're going through to actually protect you. What do you mean? Well, what happened during the coronavirus? We couldn't, if we had debt and we had a building we were paying on, we couldn't pay it. He put us in a situation where we didn't have any debt, so we didn't get affected by this. But those churches that owe millions of dollars to the bank did get affected. We skirted right through that. By the way, it may not be a bad idea that we don't have a permanent place, because what if these Antifa groups decide to see me on YouTube and then would attack our church building? But we don't have one! <laughs> right? So in a lot of ways, the delay is for a reason. And now as I'm looking back, I'm starting to see the reasons. And there's many, many more I could go through and tell you. But I get it. And God's timing is perfect. So when he tells Moses, now, it's God's timing. Now, this will happen. And the same thing will happen to you. He will sometimes call you to something. And this is the weird thing. But you're called, but there will be a delay in the enactment of it. And that's weird. Most people don't get that. And the reason is he's preparing the person for the job. Why do you think he called Moses and then he has to spend 40 years in the desert? 
Why do you think David is called the king when he was a teenager and he has to wait 25 years to sit on the throne? Why would he told Abraham, the promise is going through you and your posterity? Did, why did he wait 25 years for Sarah to get pregnant with Yitzhak or Isaac? Why? Why is there such a delay? Because God's working through that period of time. And the same thing is right here with Moses. Now, Moses, it's the right time, not your time. One of the things, have you ever seen these dogs? They're military canines. And um, sometimes they're uh, police canines. If you ever go on YouTube and watch how they train these guys, it's phenomenal. What these dogs can do, unbelievable. These dogs can be put in the middle of chaos. Bombs blowing off, rifles shots, all kinds of stuff. And when they do their training... And these dogs are laser-beamed to their master. Nothing distracts them. They are right there on their master's hip until he gives them the order, then they release. They don't go out, do their own thing. They don't jump ahead of their master. They don't lag behind. They're right there on his side, and they're willing to do whatever he wants them at the command. And I looked through this, and I watched how they train them. And then when they go into attack mode, these dogs can do amazing things. I saw them jump through a half-rolled-up window, like they're going in, they released him into a car, and the dog had the ability to jump up and then, like, curl his body up to fit into the window of a half-window of a car, and he got in, and then, boom, he went into attack mode. Amazing. How did he know to crunch up to get to that little space and then open up? It's awesome, really cool to watch, these military dogs and these, these police canines. Anyway, my point is, when I was watching this, I thought, that's a picture of what we should be like with God. We stay at his side. We only do what he tells us to do. We only move when he tells us to move. We wait on the master's timing. And then when he says, now, then we go. It's a perfect example of how we were to to respond to the Lord. This, my friends, is what Moses needs to learn. And it's what you and I need to learn. We need to learn to pass these tests because let me tell you what's on the other side of the test. When you pass the tests, all these tests that I mentioned today, you actually move into another walk with the Lord, which is very close. You're like that dog that sticks right to the side and you're now functioning in what's called the abundant life. And when you're in the abundant life, let me tell you what you're gonna do. It's not just simply... The experience you'll have, you'll see things that you never thought you would see. You will see the impossible being done by God. It's really cool. But folks, most Christians don't get it. They don't get because they won't pass the tests. They won't push through the hindrances. They won't push past failure. But, but folks, on the other side is where the Red Sea parts. It's where the plagues come. And most people don't get to get to that area because they're so afraid of failure and what people will think about them. But just like the Israelites, you'll see eventually they're caught up, hemmed in at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's marching in. He's going to kill them. Every one of them slaughter them. And then now, the Red Sea parts. Now, it's just right at the last minute. Boom, God delivers. And I'm going to tell you, it'll be the same thing for you and I. The world's getting crazy and crazier and worse and worse. But guess what? Here's the good news. Eventually, the father will turn to the son and say, Now, go get your bride. 
and we're gone. Then we're gone. You will deliver us at the right moment. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.